Welcome to Younger Older with Dave and Nate today. Normally it's Jason and Dave, and uh, Nate is in the same age bracket. How old are you, Nate? 36. 36. I'm 62, so we still got this Younger Older thing going on here. And uh, we've been talking to Nate about his journey through cancer and what God is teaching him and what he's learning and where his hope comes from. And we thought, how interesting would it be to uh, be able to pause and talk to a man that loves God, loves his family, works in a ministry, got diagnosed with cancer here at a young age, and to really kind of journal his thoughts as we go along here, Uh, especially at his age. I think you would almost expect someone my age to get uh, a cancerous disease a little bit more normal, Mm -hmm. I would think. And somebody your age, did you ever even get tested for, it's a it's a type of colon cancer, am I correct? Yeah, similar to a colon cancer, that's what the treatment looks like, but it's not colon cancer. Okay, and if you were checked for colon cancer, though, they would have found it? Uh, yeah. So, but at your age, you were thinking, I'll wait till I'm about 50 or 60. Oh, yeah, they don't screen until you're 45, 50 years old for colon cancer, unless you have family history which I don't have family history. Yeah, well, you do now. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know how that happens, but all of a sudden you got family history of it. And uh, I know that. My dad had uh, heart attacks, and my mom had several strokes. And I remember I was sitting in the doctor's office one day, and I was saying, oh, man, Doc, I hope I, you know, my dad died at 60 from heart problems, had 51, he was having heart attacks. And I said, I hope I have my mom's blood. I forgot she had strokes. My doctor looks at me and goes, I don't think you want that either. You know, it's like, I'm not sure you want her blood or his blood. Well, I, I got them both, so I can't, I can't complain. And God's been faithful through the years. I honestly, between you and me and all the millions that are listening, I honestly did not plan on living past 60. Because I never saw an older man in my family. Everybody in my family died 60 or younger. And so I never experienced an old guy, uh, an old wager. And then my brother, who's older than me, 18 months older than me, made it past 60. And I thought, maybe, maybe it's I'll possible. make it. So now I'm 62, pushing 63, and I'm still here. And it's amazing when you start thinking that you can plan and know what God is doing and, and how he works. Watch, I'll love to be like 95. And I thought I was going to go when I was 60 or before. Um, I don't think we can uh, tell God or, or plan on something that we have no idea of what's really happening. And we try and do that all the time. Mm-hmm. So what are you learning? What, no, before we go where you're learning, what happened since the last time we met? You, you've had some interesting interactions with the medical community for what reasons? Kind of bring us up to date on your condition. I think what has it been three weeks yep. since our last one? Um, uh, three weeks ago, the, as mostly at people listening if you followed the other podcast here is you know i've had some fractured vertebrae and it's increasingly the pain level would just keep going up to the point where at night trying to sleep uh even on the pain medication that i'm on was very difficult uh so it got to a point where i you know i had to call up the oncologist and say all right What's going on here? Is there some other treatment that can be done to, you know, to fix this? And uh, the oncologist wanted to, to put some eyes on me because I was in, you know, severe pain. And uh, my oncologist works out of both Anago and Wausau. Anago is uh, about 30 minutes away from uh, where we live. And this is Wisconsin for yep. those that are listening somewhere else, right? Uh, and then uh, Wausau takes about an hour and 20 minutes to get there. Uh, 
uh, my oncologist was only in Antigo once a week, and this was on a Monday. So I had to go out to Wausau uh, to see him. And after he saw me, he's like, well, we're going to admit you. I'm like, okay. Yeah, you weren't planning <laughs> on that because I remember all of a yeah. sudden, no, I'm staying in Wausau. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't planning on that. Uh, but that was a good thing because I was able to get uh, some much-needed pain relief. I was put on a morphine pump. Uh, which uh, I could push a button. I kind of call that Nate's happy button. All right. Um, and administer morphine every 10 minutes. And after about an hour and a half, I built up enough in my system where I was actually able to get some relief. Okay. And then through that process, I wound up getting another CT scan, an MRI. Um, kind of a nice thing that CT scan, uh, when they did it, they put contrast in. Uh, which was able to kind of illuminate in the abdomen what was going on. And there, there is no new growth that they saw in there of any tumors, which is a, a huge praise. And it also looks like some of the tumors are starting to shrink. It's still very early to tell that, but it's showing signs that it may be starting to shrink, which is really cool. Um, you know, as the, my oncologist said, we're not trying to cure you. We're trying to manage what you have. Right. Because, you know, there really is no cure for this, and which I'm fine with. Um, the MRI, when I had that, uh, which is kind of another interesting journey on that one, I will never do a one-hour MRI session again without Amen. being comatose. <laughs> Amen. And I had to do it for my heart once in Madison. I understand what you're oh, talking yeah. about. A lot of banging and a garbage can size hole. Yeah, yeah your face fun. is up against the, uh-huh. I mean, oh, man. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but now one of the things I saw is, you know, the three vertebrae that I, uh, or I had a couple more vertebrae than just the three that I had repaired uh, bad, but the three that were repaired were the most problematic. Uh, T12 and L4 and 5 are, were the vertebrae that I had repaired. So it's thoracic 12, lumbar 4 and 5. And uh, basically what it did is called kyphoplasty which basically they put a really big needle uh, into my vertebrae and put uh, JB Weld in there for All right. lack of a better term. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and uh, so they were able to fix three vertebrae. Okay. Uh, the procedure, it's a relatively non-invasive procedure. Um, they did have to put me completely under for it. Uh, just because of the medication that right. I was on. Right. Uh, so I wound up, I was innovated for that and all, which was a interesting experience. But uh, the only severe pain I had after that was right when I woke up. And I knew I could experience some severe pain right after because they didn't know how much uh, medication to give me. Right. Just because it's, you know, it's a tough balance. Right. And but once I got past that little hurdle, it was an immediate difference in pain level. Uh, that night, I was able to get up and walk around almost pain free. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions on this, if I could. Um, first of all, is this is this typical of somebody on chemotherapy? Do do they have trouble with structure like their bones and their? Is that a typical thing? Or they is do. This... It's uh, uh, chemotherapy can weaken the bones. That it is a uh, it's a common thing and i kind of have a couple things going against me on that because i do have cancer in my spine uh that also weakens it so okay it's kind of a lose-lose situation on that but um there is medication that i get during my chemo treatment uh to help encourage bone growth 
and to help kind of strengthen that up. So people who are um, trying to help somebody who's going through a, a treatment like you are, uh, cancer and chemotherapy, they need to be aware of the fact that they also might need to help them get realistic expectations on what they can and cannot do because of the structure of their bodies weakening. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I know um, you right now are um, not working here. Yeah, you mm-hmm. have been and you're on disability at this point. Yep. Um, and it, that was a tough thing for all of us to do, but we really felt like we didn't want you to do something that's going to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and on the and, flip side of that, it was, uh, you know, it was a mutual agreement on that. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, if I injured myself at work, that would have turned into a workman's compensation, yeah. which I didn't want to put camp in that position. Yeah, well, I mean, it, when you just look at it, it, it's really good if everybody can sit down in a room mm-hmm. and they can say, what is really best here? What is best for everybody concerned? Because, you know, this is inconvenient to everybody that's involved. But what, what do you do about it is the question without getting upset with one another. Because it, nobody plans on this happening in their life. But you got to make decisions. you got to make mm-hmm. decisions at home on who's going to go out and get the wood and bring it all in. Yep. You know, I mean, you got to make decisions there. You guys raise chickens. Who's going to take care of the chickens? And who's going to take care of the other stuff that you have? Who? So there's just practical things that you really need to sit down with people and say, you know, Nate, you can do this. But you're more fragile now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know any man in the world that likes to be called more fragile. I don't think there's one alive. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the minute, I mean, if you came to me and said, you know, you're, you're more fragile now, I'd go, oh, yeah? And I would probably do exactly the opposite of what you just told me just to prove that I'm not fragile mm-hmm. anymore. Um, that's just something we got to fight as, as men to, yep. to go through. This is a time period where you need to let other people take care of you if you mm-hmm. can get yourself out of the way for a little bit. Not because uh, of your weakness, but because of your weakness, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. And uh, as I look at it as a friend of yours, I think there are some things that people have just gathered around you and said, look, we'll help you in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to help you, and I think that's an important part of it sitting in a room and actually talking to people that you work with, people that are your friends, people from your church, and and making a plan. I think that's important to be able to do. And having people, I think, Nate, in your life, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that that are just willing to challenge you so that, because you may not be thinking clearly all the time. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair estimate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, When I was in uh, that severe pain, it's a it really wears you down, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, because that's all your mind can focus on. You know, and I would lay down at night, you know, I would get some relief from the medication, but I would find myself, you know, just praying that God, please give me some relief. Yeah. And, you know, one of the worst things that could happen if I had to get up and use the bathroom, I would have to start the process all over again to try to get comfortable. And yeah. it's, it can be very discouraging. Yeah. But, you know, on the flip side of that is um you know the pain is temporary yeah. yeah it's you know if god does call me home it's temporary yeah but you know yeah, i'm glad for modern medicine and what you know it's done for me right now because it is you know as i was in the hospital my parents came to visit and my mom took a picture of me as i was walking down to the cafeteria with them yeah and she sent it to my wife my wife immediately noticed I was standing straight. Hmm. 
and I stood straight in probably the better part of six weeks. Wow. And that was the first thing she noticed because the procedure was that effective. And that was the day after the procedure. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's it's interesting to see family, friends, doctors, medical community surround you at this point. Mm -hmm. and, and really that's a biblical principle. When somebody has a weakness, at the, and you do with the cancer, it's right for those who are around them to step up to the plate and do what they need to do to help them. Uh, it's also important to have friends from the outside of your family, friends that you trust personally, um, come and talk to you so that you have somebody to bounce things off of that isn't going to get family emotional and isn't mm -hmm. going to get some other things. And I know you, you know, our pastor is a good friend of yours and you get to do that. You can talk to me anytime or whatever, but you do have people, uh, recently two friends of ours that you and I both know rather well, um, were in situations where they were, um, not doing well. Mm -hmm. And, um, and in each case I went over to them as a friend. And in one case, it was very serious. We had to call 911, get him into them. But they, he wasn't doing anything until I came. The family was there and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not praising me on this one. I'm saying there's a process that takes place. Mm -hmm. There's somebody that comes in from the outside that you trust. And I, I always want to encourage you, Nate, always have a handful of people that when you're wondering what's really going on, you call them and ask them. Mm -hmm. because they have nothing to gain by telling you a lie. They're not into your, your family positions where the emotion is going to get there. And, and they may be able to say, why don't you do this? Why don't you consider this? And what they just did was level with you as somebody who isn't going to be affected by mm -hmm. a lot of the other things. So you can, you can at least know, okay, there's a neutral opinion that I can, I can reject it or I can listen to it. Um, and I, in both of the cases, uh, these other cases, it's been kind of interesting to watch that um, they wait to make the decisions until the friends in their life who they trust come and talk to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm encouraging people that have friends who are sick, who have uh, who are struggling with some kind of disease, whatever it might be, don't ignore talking about it. Don't just say, oh, that doesn't exist. It, it does exist. Mm -hmm. Talk to them about it. Be their friend. Be a, a sounding board. Let them talk. Or be somebody who talks to them about what your observations are. And then respect what they process. Mm -hmm. Respect it. Because, again, we don't make that decision. And you as a believer depend on the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And other people can come to you and say, here's what I think you should do. Have you had anyone come to you and say, here's how you should cure yourself of this? Uh actually no okay and i'm grateful for that yeah just the nice thing about it being such a rare cancer there's not much information out there yeah so if people can't find anything on it they can't find a quote-unquote cure yeah uh, which is kind of nice and which makes it easier for you know my wife and i as we approach the you know the process of you know treatment you know we're we trust our you know my oncologist very good guy very straightforward on you know his treatment plan and and all that and you know we we trust him and you know anything that i take whether it's a vitamin or something if i want to add something i ask him because i don't know if it's going to interact with anything and there's a lot of people that do kind of shoot themselves in the foot by partially following what the oncologist says they try to dabble in doing their own stuff and a lot of times treatment isn't effective right 
And you either have to go, you know, all in, trust your oncologist, or don't see them. Yeah. You know, and my my uh, my thoughts are so with you on this one that I remember I was sitting talking to my doctor one day, and and um, I because I've gone in for heart and blood a bunch of stuff, and I was sitting there talking to him, and I I was looking at him, and all of a sudden it just came out of my mouth. I said, I feel so sorry for you. And he looked at me like, what is your problem? I said, you know what? You you take people into your office. You tell them what they need to do to get better. They ignore you totally, and then there's an emergency down the road, and you got to take care of it because they mm-hmm. didn't listen to you in the first place. And he just smiled. He goes, you got it. <laughs> How'd you get that? I said, I don't know. I was just thinking about that because because years ago, I was a, I was a kid in a wheelchair at one time, and I had all these other issues, but... Years ago, I decided that if I'm going to go to a doctor, I'm going to listen to what he says or she says. I'm going to listen. And if I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What good is it not to listen to somebody? I think that's just part of learning submission. Mm-hmm. You're going to submit to something. You're going to submit to what they say on the Internet. You're going to submit to you know, what uh, Oprah says. You're going to submit to Dr. Uh, what's it? Waz or Oz or Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil. Yeah, whoever yeah. they are, you're going to submit to them or you're going to submit, go into a, a medical facility and, and talk to a doctor. I would suggest give them a chance and listen to them. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the medical community when you're dealing with a doctor, you know, they've gone to school for at least eight years. Yep. And that's just you know, pre-med and med. And then a lot of times they're, they're in a residency program for another four to five years and then sometimes they have a fellowship on top of that so yeah they're they've invested a lot of time effort yep to you know that specialty that they're doing yeah i think it's disrespectful and and arrogant to go to a doctor listen to what they say and then ignore what they say Mm -hmm. i i think then when the harder times come you have just robbed from them time that they could be using for some other purpose or some other person that really you know, just came upon something and they need to put their efforts into. Um, I, I just think it's a Christian thing to do, if you go through the Bible, to learn to submit. We don't put our hope in doctors or medicine. Mm-hmm. We put our hope in God. And honestly, if there were no um, doctors or medicine available, God could speak and cure you right now. Mm-hmm. There are doctors and nurses available. So he's using them. Your job is the same as my job, no matter where I go. And that's to show them who God is by how you live. Mm -hmm. And you get this whole group of people to show who God is that I will never meet. And so you are in a very special mission field right now uh, to go out there and to demonstrate the, the love of Christ in your life and how that looks. And I think anybody who is a believer that is, is, um, struggling with any disease that's chronic i mean you're in a position of privilege it is not a position where you say okay now poor me i am a victim and i'm focusing on this victimhood you know you're never going to be okay focusing on victimhood oh no well it's depressing when you focus on that yep. uh, it's, i agree god gave me this platform and it's fun watching to see how god's using me and yep. the the nurses that you know were taking care of me while I was in the hospital, I was able to share you know this program that we're doing, uh, and it was you know some of them actually listened to it and were encouraged by it. Yep. And, uh, 
the purpose of this program is to give somebody hope. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, as believers, you know, in any situation, we always have hope. Yep. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, we live in a culture that's what I call an identity culture. By that, I mean we, all, we, we identify with something. So there's people who identify with politics. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm Republican, I'm Democrat. There's people who identify, you know, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, I'm a Chicago Bear fan. There's people who identify, if you look at our culture, I'm, I'm gay, I'm straight, I'm whatever. You know, I, I've lost count of all the, <laughs> all the different categories that people can identify with. People, um, you know, when, when there was a problem in Anago, people identified with Anago pride. When people, mm-hmm. I mean, we are a culture that, and always all people are prone to desire an identification label. And, and we work hard at identifying who we are. What's really interesting in the Bible is that those who are healthy end up identifying themselves through Jesus. Healthy people do not identify themselves as victims, mm-hmm. as sickness. Now, when I think of you, Nate, the first thought that, the, when I pray for you and I think of you, the first, my first thought isn't, oh, poor Nate, he's sick. That isn't my first thought. My first thought is, God, how are you going to demonstrate yourself to Nate today, and how is he going to demonstrate you to others? That's the first thought. Mm -hmm. Why? Because your identity is in Christ. You're a Christian who happens to have cancer. You're not a cancer victim who is trying to be a Christian. It's a different identity, Mm -hmm. totally. And what's interesting about that is if you identify in the wrong area, you identify, some people identify through their money. They identify through their gifts. They identify, and God says, you know what, do you think I need your money? Do you think I need your gifts? That's not what your identity should be in. All of that can change. If there's anything that, that you're probably learning right now, it, you know, everything changes. Mm-hmm. Except one thing. God. Yeah. So where's the stability? Mm-hmm. And people don't have it. They might be asking if they're listening, how do you identify with Jesus? Well, very simply. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that all of us in our lives, all of us have sinned. All of us are people who have, we we are created to be loved by God. And we don't let God love us. Because we refuse his love, we refuse Jesus. Um. I I recently wrote a book, uh, you're probably aware I wrote a book for uh, children, it's called My Shepherd, and it's on the Psalm 23. And what's really interesting is, is how many parallels there are to our lives in sheep. And the sheep, no matter what's going on in life, they are safe because of their proximity to the shepherd. And when somebody looks at the flock, they look at the flock. They never say, nice flock. They say, who's the shepherd? Because they realize a nice flock has to have a good shepherd. Because sheep can't defend themselves. They can't do anything to to fight off. They can't do anything by themselves. In fact, uh, there's a couple phrases in there, and I I think you can relate to these, and I think anyone who's sick can. What what the Psalm 23 says, and it's written by David, uh, who was a shepherd, it it says that, that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Now, you think about that. He sets a table for us to enjoy a meal 
while our enemies are lurking and watching us. And what he wants us to do is enjoy the meal. Why? Because he's watching those lions. They're not going to move as long as he's watching them. So you figure sheep have this pasture or this grass. And they're eating. And all the lions, there's a girl who did the drawings of that. And she has all these lions surrounding these sheep. And the, the shepherd's just looking at them while the sheep eat. The sheep are just enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I would suggest, and, 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 I, and if you get the picture, I would suggest that the cancer that you're going through right now, it's, it's like, you know, did you deserve it? Did you? No, that's not. Did a lamb ever ask a lion to be their enemy? No. They just are. Yep. Look, there are things in life that are. And sickness and death and, and taxes. You know what I mean? Yeah. These, are, these are things that nobody has to like. But the proximity to God. You know, if you're listening today and you are a distance from God, I ask you, contact us at Relate365.com. I'll get you in contact with Nate. You can talk to him directly. Mm-hmm. And, and you can talk to him about his hope. You can talk to him about what it is to be a child of God and be loved of God. And, and not to put your fears in front of you, but to put your hope in front of you and God. As a, as, a, as a shepherd, the other picture in that book that I love is, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel no, fear no evil, and that shepherd's walking through that valley. He's got his hand on that lamb. Wolves are looking at a distance, and that shepherd's just looking at him. That lamb doesn't care less about those wolves. You know, Nate, you and those who are listening to us that are struggling with a disease, you can trust your doctors, but your hope needs to be in God. Mm-hmm. And if your hope isn't in God, it starts by understanding that he loves you. Um, did you ever hear uh, Rich Mullins, the singer? Oh, yeah. He died, a uh, tragic car accident, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. W- what's interesting is Rich Mullins believed this, and I'm, this isn't something I'm pulling from the Bible. This is what he believed. He believed that the day that you die and you face God, that God will be concerned with one thing. Did you know that I loved you? Did you live that way? That's all. He, he boiled it down to a very simple yeah. premise. And, uh, and I think people that are in your position can know that God loves you. Mm-hmm. I've seen it time and time again, yep. just from you know, the huge answer to prayer with uh, the pain relief yep. and all the provisions that God has provided. That's, you know, I don't deserve any of that, but yet God has graciously granted it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to watch you grow and, and to see the mechanism of growth be cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what, what we should do is come back and do another program and do it on the idea of what is it that causes a man to become who he should become and what is it that stops us. And look at your cancer very directly and, and, and see the different ways that God is using it to help you become a man that you should become and realize that in this journey we're on, it's, it's not like we sit there and go, boy, I'm not doing anything I should, so God's got to give me cancer. No, God gives us opportunities in life, no matter what, to grow and develop into the people he wants us to be. It, you're never going to die, Nate, until God says it's time. Mm-hmm. And when he does say it's time, there's nothing any doctor or human's going to do to keep you alive. So you need to enjoy the relationship that he offers you. 
You've been listening to Nate and Dave here on Younger and Older, brought to you by Relate365.com. We look forward to seeing you in the next program.